I don't know about you, but I do not have a green thumb. I know very little about gardening or planting flowers or trees for that matter. I know you need seed, you need fertile soil and water and sunlight to help something grow, but sometimes even that can be challenging. And if you've ever planted a seed, then you know that it doesn't just grow overnight. You could watch it for days and never see the tiniest growth spring forth. Gardening takes knowledge of what to do. It takes obedience to do it and a lot of patience to finally see any results. Yet when the growth comes, it's fulfilling to see the glorious flower or fruit or tree in full bloom. As we continue our sermon series today on faith, we come to a strange passage of Scripture in Luke's Gospel that appears to be a little disjointed, much like my futile attempts at gardening. Jesus is teaching his disciples about discipleship, about following him. And he says to them, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. In this passage, Jesus acknowledges that no one is perfect. Well, except for him, of course, he says that there will be temptations in life. There will be things that can cause us to stumble. Now, the Greek word for stumble is scandalon, and we get the, uh, the English word scandal from this particular word. But yet this word refers to a trap for catching something by tripping it up. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that it's easy to be tripped up by all kinds of things on a daily basis. There are people who easily get on our nerves, whether it's a family member that's hard to love, or even if it's that person who cuts you off driving down the road. And truth be told, our responses can often be inconsistent with our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Stumbling is very easy to do. Getting tripped up can happen at any moment due to various circumstances. And Jesus knows this, and his grace is extended to us in that, but he pushes us a little bit further by saying that causing someone to stumble, setting a trap for these little ones, is worthy of judgment. In fact, he says it would be better to be drowned in the sea than to cause someone to stumble. And these are harsh words to hear, are they not? Jesus is making a clear distinction between being tripped up and being the cause of someone else to do so. Now, often we think of the little ones as children, and certainly it could be understood as such here, but I think that what Jesus is really getting at is to new converts in the faith. He's saying that we need to hold each other accountable as his disciples, not to cause a new believer to abandon their faith. And I would dare say that we should also be careful not to cause anyone to lose their faith faith. It's interesting that Jesus does not place the judgment on the one who abandons their faith, but on those who cause them to stumble. Now, I have to admit to you, I've seen such things happen 
in my time in ministry over the last 21 years. I've personally known pastors who broke their marital vows or who lied to their congregations about their lives lived in secret that led to some in their congregations experiencing a spiritual crisis. It's a spiritual crisis because they trusted their pastor to live out the faith. They looked to them as the leader of a congregation. They saw them as the most holy one who would lead them in the right way. And whenever that pastor makes a mistake, when they stumble and fall, it's easy to cause the faith of others to also stumble and fall. Their actions had a direct impact on the faith of others because they were living a lie. Jesus knows this, and he knows that it's not just pastors that can have this effect on others. He sees it as every Christian's calling to follow him faithfully and to live our lives together as a testament to his grace in our own lives. And so Jesus then pushes further to this topic of forgiveness. He says not only are we to be faithful witnesses who hold ourselves accountable to following him, but that we're also required to forgive those who sin against us. Now, he says that if someone sins against you, that it's important for you to rebuke them, to acknowledge that they've done something wrong. We're to be truthful about the hurt that they have caused us or to be truthful that they've done something that's crossed the boundaries of what acceptable behavior is. We're not to ignore that. But in acknowledging their wrongdoing, we do it, well, we do it responsibly in hopes that they will turn and repent Repentance is essentially acknowledging our wrongdoing and turning 180 degrees in the other direction. It's asking for forgiveness. And if they repent and ask for forgiveness, Jesus commands us to forgive. He even pushes it even further and says, If the same person sins against you seven times in one day and they come back to you seven times repenting, you must forgive them. Now, I am not naive. I recognize that this is not easy for us to do. Some things are easier to forgive than others. And it's even harder to do when someone is constantly repeating the same mistake over and over again. But Jesus doesn't give us loopholes that prevent us from offering forgiveness. He simply commands us to forgive. See, Jesus is asking his followers to do what he already does for us. He wants us to be mindful of how we respond to others, of the way that we live and interact with believers and non-believers alike. He wants us to display his love and grace, the same forgiveness and grace that he's extended to each one of us. So when his disciples hear him say these things, they demand that Jesus increase our faith. They know that if they're going to be able to do what he's taught them, that they're going to need a little bit more help. In their eyes, Jesus is asking way too much of them, and they know that they can't live up to the task so that they need Jesus to intervene by increasing their faith so that they can be better prepared. Simple enough, right? I mean, who doesn't need their faith increased to help them follow Jesus? But Jesus' response is a surprise to them. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. 
Now, there's two ways that we can read this statement of Jesus. One is, is Jesus saying to them, you don't have faith as small as a mustard seed? Or is he saying to them, you do have faith as small as a mustard seed? The disciples believe that they don't have faith, even as large as a mustard seed. But Jesus challenges their own way of thinking. He's actually saying to them, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, and you do. He is affirming the faith that they already have. Now, Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace and faith are gifts of God. They are not earned, but they are freely given to us. And they are given so that we may bear witness to God's love and grace as we live out our faith, doing good works in the name of Jesus. But this requires obedience to follow Jesus. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined this as costly grace because discipleship costs our lives lived in service and in gratitude to God. Jesus is telling them that they have everything that they need. They don't need faith the size of a mountain, just the size of a tiny mustard seed, and they've got that. They can live the way that Jesus has called them to live because they've been given his grace and faith to do it. They just have to be obedient to follow Jesus day in and day out. While serving as a youth pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, I would often go to the local high schools and I would provide a breakfast and give a message at the local Fellowship of Christian Athletes gathering that would take place. Now, FCA was not just for the athletes in the school. It was an inclusive gathering of anyone who were believers or who uh, were interested in knowing more about who God is. And I would do this on a pretty regular basis at Spartan High School and at Dormant High School. And I remember one particular morning speaking to about 150 high school students And as I gave that message, it just seemed that nobody seemed to be paying attention or listening to a word I said. And it really bothered me. As I returned home uh, on this particular Friday to work on my seminary homework, I was bothered by this. And as I started my homework, I got really frustrated about what had transpired that morning. And I began to question my call into ministry and if any of this was really even worth it. I thought to myself, if no one is listening, then why do this in the first place? I mean, what's the point of doing all this work in seminary for people not to care or desire to grow in their faith? I started venting to God all of my frustrations that no one listens, so what's the point? I hit a low point in my ministry, and I really started questioning whether I should continue in it. I needed God to increase my faith because my message didn't move anyone, much less a mulberry tree into the sea. So when I finished my ranting prayer to God, my phone rang. 
Now, I almost didn't answer it because I didn't recognize the number. But when I did, I heard a familiar voice of one of my former students from my ministry in Bennettsville, South Carolina. I hadn't talked to her in years. And when we began to talk, she began by thanking me for all I had done to help grow her faith. She had even said to me that there were times that it appeared as if she wasn't listening or if her peers were not listening to me, but indeed they were. She shared that she had taken a job at her local church, her home church, as a youth director to help out in an interim situation. And she wanted my advice on curriculums and on activities that they might be participating in. Crazy, huh? God opened my eyes in that very moment when I thought it was all a waste of time. God was reminding me of the importance of living out our faith day by day, the slow process of planting seeds. Now, I wanted to see, I wanted to see spiritual growth spring forth immediately after I gave a message that morning. But it doesn't always work that way. It's not my job to make it grow. It's my job to plant the seed. I have to allow God to water it and to give the sunlight that's necessary to bring forth that growth. But that particular phone call allowed me to see the full bloom of faith over time. It reminded me of the importance of faithful obedience, even in moments where you're not sure if anything is even happening, or even if you think you've messed it all up. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about to his disciples. He wants them to know the importance of faithful obedience, of living out their faith day by day. Their personal relationships, their interactions with others, the way they respond to difficult people or to those who sin against them matters. It's about the long obedience of serving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't mean that we won't stumble or be tripped up from time to time, but it does mean that we already have what we need to be impactful for the kingdom of God. We have all the faith that we need. It's been gifted to us. We're just called to practice it. This means that when we stumble in sin, that we experience Christ's grace and forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. But it also means that we must forgive those who sin against us as a witness and testimony of God's grace and forgiveness in our own lives. You see, we don't need more faith to practice forgiveness. We just have to be obedient to extend it. We don't need more faith to follow Jesus. We just have to be obedient to follow him. We don't need more faith to bear witness to Christ in our lives. We just have to be obedient to share his love and grace. This is exactly what Jesus is sharing at the end of our passage today regarding the servant who's called to do his job. His sarcastic question to his disciples reminds them that a servant does what he's commanded to do. He's not rewarded for something that he's supposed to do. This is called obedience, which is why Jesus instructs us to say, we have only done our duty. We don't need more faith. We just need to exercise the faith we've been given. You see, faith requires knowledge of what to do. 
Jesus gives us that knowledge and he gives us that direction, but it also requires obedience to do it and the patience to see the results. Jesus might say that it's a lot like gardening, only requiring faith the size of a mustard seed. So today, friends, my prayer for us is that we would practice our faith together as disciples of Jesus Christ, living responsibly, forgiving generously, believing faithfully, and following obediently day in and day out that we may encourage and strengthen the faith of others rather than causing anyone to stumble. May we also pray that God will allow us to see the full bloom of spiritual growth in the lives of those that he has placed in our lives as a reminder of God's work in and through us. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.